Hello, recovery fan. Welcome back to the Unashamed Recovery Podcast, where we believe there is healing in the story of our scars, and that it is okay to not be okay. There is our mission to break the shame and stigma of addiction and recovery by sharing real stories of real addiction from real people in real sobriety and real recovery. We share stories straight out of the pit, stories of hope. I'm your host, Josh. I'm your co-host, Drew. And we're missing Palmer again. But we have a guest host. We have a guest host today. Brother Phoenix. Brother Phoenix. The Black, Phoenix. Black Sheep Recovery Warfare Podcast. Filling in Welcome for the second episode in a row. Palmer, you're fired. Put 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 that on a t-shirt. I'm talking about this is like the third time he's been fired. Fourth time he's been fired from a podcast. John. This, we're, we're counting this one to attendance. This is <laughs> this is the fifth time I've had a fire from Unashamed. He just keeps showing up. It's like a bad penny. I'll fire him and he'll show up and I gotta kind of promote him to the employee of the month and then I have to fire him. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, we've got John Gallagher filling in for the for Palmer for this episode. And uh yeah, so I'm about roll, to ask you, look, roll that, that intro. intro. The Unashamed Recover the Podcast <laughs> with Josh and Drew. Josh and Drew. Dun, 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 dun. Not Palmer. Not Palmer. The Unashamed Recovery Podcast. The Unashamed Recovery Podcast with Josh, Drew, and Palmer starts now. All right, so this is episode number 60. Drew, what is it? Chaos to Kindness. The Danny Ivey story. Danny Ivey story. (laughs) And we are joined with a guest today. We are joined by Danny Ivey. Danny is the ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery in Vicksburg, Mississippi, at Foundry. Right. At Foundry Church. Uh, And actually... This uh, that we were not planning on having Danny. We had somebody completely different scheduled. They dropped the ball on us. John came through, able to bring Danny in, and just a small world because me because I've got so many mutual friends with Danny's brother, and it's yeah. like <laughs> so it's small world. It's a small world of Mississippi right. recovery. Well, he was it literally the first person world. that came to mind when uh when I saw the post. I was like, I mean, immediately I thought. It just popped in my Dan- I know it's the Holy Spirit. It's Danny Ivy, right? Because uh, I've been, you know, I just seen him a couple nights ago at the event, and uh, you know, we'd talked a couple times on the phone about some other things, and uh, you know, this is how it worked out. God moment. Well, welcome, yeah. welcome, welcome, Danny. That's right. Welcome, big welcome from Unashamed. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Danny, tell us a little bit about what got you started in recovery. What was your drug of choice? Methamphetamines. Mm. Well, been down that road. I don't have a personal story with that. I spent that a is, long time down that road. That is outside of my my area. But Matt, we have talked with so many people. I've lost count. We have talked with so many people that have several that have been down that road. Uh, and I'm just going to stop and say right now, for you to be sitting here, for John to be sitting here, for Drew to be sitting here, it's a miracle. Absolutely, not, not everybody makes it out of that road. Two percent. That is right. Two yes. percent. You got you got you got the tattoo. The I got the tattoo. It's under my it's under my little dinosaur on my hand. Two percent. Two percent. Well, it's like it's, two, it's the, the the statistic is two percent of um, heroin methamphetamine users are are uh, are you know come out of it and never return to it. It's only two percent. We're trying 2%. to get that number up. Two percent. 
Yeah. That's that not is, just intravenous. That's, yeah, that's, that's across period. the board. Yeah, it's across the board. Yeah. yeah. Because I know somebody at one point was like, no, it's just intravenous. You mm-hmm. know. No, it's <laughs> no, so it's everybody. Well, anyway, man, regardless, intravenous or not, it's a miracle. Right. With Amber, when Amber came on and shared, with hers, I think hers was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it 25 years? Yeah. And for I told her, I was like, Amber, for you to be able to sit here and tell us this story, the way that she told it. I was well, like, not even just that, the way her mind could still yeah, articulate. Yeah. It's amazing that we don't have brain damage. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's I, the point. I told her, I was like, it is a miracle. Walking, talking, miracle. Yeah. And Danny is certainly that because if you knew what y'all are about, the story that y'all are about to hear is going to blow your mind. So what you're saying is we need to stop. Yeah, I need y'all. And I need need y'all to. And I need to get some popcorn. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so Danny, if you just you know take take us back to let's go back to where it all began with that chapter one. Chapter chapter one. What does your chapter one look like? Okay. What what would be the title of that chapter one? Born in a pit. Ooh. Yes, that nice. that's Ooh. a good title for a chapter. Okay, that is a. But let me just let me just say intriguing. this real quick before he starts. I, I go way back with these Ivy boys, like from elementary school. Okay, so I, I've <laughs> I've seen a lot. You know, I mean, I, I bore witness to a lot. Danny, so. is that scary? <laughs> scary isn't the word I'm talking just, about. Did you see his face? Kind of change? See, I'm, trying, like, oh. I'm trying to build this up for the listeners because it's, it's it's worse than scary. It's terrifying. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this is I'm gonna give him the mic. You know. Well, yeah. All right, so I was born in South Jackson, and, and, and when I was born, my dad was in Hines County Jail on a capital murder charge. My mom was a, a teenager. She was a drug addict, and, um, and so my father ended up getting life sentence, and, and I grew up in an environment where everyone in my family did drugs and alcohol or was in and out of prison except for one aunt. And uh, so we moved around from place to place, boyfriend to boyfriend, whatever she had going on. My mom was a runner, so whenever things got tough, we'd just pack up and leave. And um, and that was just the environment I grew up in was was chaos. And, so and nothing solid, really. No, that's what it sounds no, like. We bounced around quite a lot, and and there was a lot of violence, and and, um, and I just to me that was normal life. And and me and my brother and, and my sister just we kind of were stuck in the middle of that, right? And and in and in that environment. Because we moved so much, I really didn't have any lifelong friends, friendships. Or stability. Right. And, and you couldn't invite friends over to spend the night or nothing like that because there you know, might be a needle on the toilet seat or might be a fight breakout or whatever it was. And just that's, that's the cycle I, I began in. And uh, so when I was, I think I was 11, my dad had made parole from prison. You know, back then, a life sentence you can make parole on, and he made parole. And so we moved to Louisiana to stay with him, and, and uh, I was there maybe two or three months, and then he died in a car wreck, drinking and driving, and uh, and that's kind of when the, really I just, you know, just kind of started really acting out, like really acting out. Um, I can remember not crying during the funeral. I was really just stunned, you know what I mean? And and because for me, up until then, up until I met him, it was always that when my dad gets home, things will be different. You know what I mean? He come from a good family, and he just got caught up with my mom's family is why he ended up in prison. And so that was always my thing. When my dad gets home, things are going to be different. And so then he gets home, and he dies. And, and I just I didn't cry or anything up until we were leaving the, the funeral, and they were lowering him to the ground. It just really, well, I'm going back to Jackson, and uh, you know, it's never going to be different. 
And so I, I got back to Jackson, and, and that's when I started getting in trouble, like getting arrested for stealing and fighting in school and just uh, just whatever whatever came about. You know what I mean? Um, it's pretty much me taking care of myself. And, and uh, once I started getting arrested, I remember I was, I think I was 13, and my aunt, the only family member that didn't do drugs or anything, she was a Christian. She come to my house. It was like the third time I got arrested back to back to back. And uh, she told me, she said, Danny, some people can get away with it. Some people can't. You'll see people doing things and getting away. She said, but you'll never get away with anything. We have prayed over you. Me and your grandmother prayed over you, and you're going to be a man of God. So you might as well give up now. And I laughed about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me just say real quick, man. If you've got a praying mother or a praying grandmother, you've got something powerful in, in your toolbox. Better man, watch out. Sure. It's, it's, they gonna, well, it's gonna, well get, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you why I say that, man. Because, um, you know, y'all know I, I, was in, I was in that for like 30 years, yeah. right? But up until my mother passed away, that, that, that's when the real chaos really came for me. You know, it's like after she passed, there was, you know, I didn't have that, that prayer in my corner. You didn't you know have the saying? umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like a protection, but after that was gone, that's when I really started having a lot of trouble with the law and, you know, other things. Anyway, please. <laughs> but I can remember her telling me, you're going to be a preacher, and I would laugh, and she said that, you know, for the next 10, 15 years, however long she had left, every time I'd hear from her, Danny, you might as well give it up. <laughs> and she was right. I never got away with anything. <laughs> Ever. You know, I, was, uh, I was in the tent center maybe 25 times. Wow. Just back to back. I got comfortable there. You know, yeah. going there, the, the guards all knew me. I was Almost institutionalized, just and not even realizing it, just because right. it felt so familiar. Yeah. It's amazing what you can get used to. But, you know, hearing, hearing the beginning of your story to this part, I mean, that was almost your foundation. That was almost the, the con- continuity. Right. You, that was, was what was consistent. Right. That's exactly right. And, and it was what it was expected of me. Yeah. You know, when I got, I'd get out of tension and go back to school, it was, they, was, they expected me to act up. That was my reputation, and that's what I, I thrived on, and, and, and that was my identity. And, and at the, the juvenile detention center, I was a little white boy that was always there, you know. And back then, it wasn't, I was really the only white kid there. And so the, the guards, the lady guards just loved me. Right. I was their little white boy, and they took care of me, you know what I mean? And, and I was comfortable there. I got three meals a day, and I had my own room, and, and I knew everybody, and, and nobody bothered me. And, and so I never minded being there. I would get out, and within a month or two, I'd be right back. And then, and I was drinking and, and smoking weed and things of that nature, but but nothing really hardcore till I was. They sent me to Oakley Training School when oh. I was sixteen, and I got out then, and things just changed. You know, I can remember when I was about thirteen, my mom's boyfriend jumped on me, and I really couldn't do anything with him. I was thirteen years old, but I ran away, and I come back three days later expecting him to be gone. And he was still there, you know what I mean? And my mom was like justifying it. And it was he was, you know, he was just drunk. He didn't mean it. And and that just kind of that built a wall right there. Up until that point, it had always been me and my mom. And then and, and I'd been with her through all the chaos. I just felt like she turned her back on me. And and then I would never Almost stay like home. she chose a side. Yeah. Right. But after yeah, that, I mean sure. So yeah. I mean, y'all were two peas in a pod. And then yeah. all of a sudden this guy puts his hands on me and she keeps him around. And so when I got out of Oakley Training School, I beat him up. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not. 14. Let me explain. So when Danny says he beat somebody up, it, it's it's not. I just beat somebody up. Yeah, I kind of figured. Yeah. yeah, I imagine it's it's it's, it's extensive. <laughs> and, and so then, 
at that point, I started running with my uncles and older cousins, and, and, and the hardcore drugs, you know, came into play. And uh, my girlfriend moved in with me, and I just I thought I was an adult at 16 years old. I was treated like an adult. So you, you, literally, you were, I mean, you were exposed to, you know, like a, you know, some Christian influence, but you didn't have a father figure in your life. And then your mother broke your trust. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it was just me and me and my girlfriend and my little brother and getting arrested and being on the news at 16 years old, and drug, teenage drug deals and drug bust and, and things of that nature and running with grown men and, uh, I don't know. I got certified as an adult when I was 17, and they sent me to prison. Whew. So you never really had a childhood? Not really. Not really. Now when I look back on it, you know, you really you realize, like, how could, I mean, I would kill somebody if they had my child in the middle of that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And, um, but I mean, they, they come from a brokenness, too. And, and so. And that's the thing with brokenness. Brokenness gets passed down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's generational. Generational it comes curse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the different types of brokenness. I mean, that's generational curses. You know, that's what it turns into. Yeah, absolutely. So when you read in the Bible and it's, it speaks of iniquity, like sometimes it'll say sin and sometimes it'll say iniquity. And when it speaks of iniquity, that is inherited sin. And, and that's what I've learned. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good. Yeah. Now, I, that's one of them things where I knew it. But you didn't really but realize it. I really it. didn't realize it. it and when he put it like that, I was like, oh, Makes yep, sense. Yep, that is it. Absolutely. Damn. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people want to ref, just refuse to believe that it can be passed down and inherited like that. But in our, what was well, I mean, it? two we, episodes ago, three episodes ago, we talked about generational curses, generational curses, and how it's passed down. Yep. And the Bible even talks about it. Yeah. And yep. if the Bible talks about it. It's true. It's true. It's true. Well, I mean, you got to think though. If the Bible's mentioning it, you're already, and if you're that person that's having to deal with inequity. You know, you're you're coming up already in the negative. You know what I'm saying? Like you're already already in the negative. Yep. So like with my biological mother, what I do know of her, you know, is that she was a drug addict. And that's why I was giving up at birth. But I mean, that was an inequity that I already had on my back. Right. You know, coming into it. And I didn't realize it. My parents didn't realize it. They didn't realize how serious it was gonna be. And then, you know, I lived it out. Yeah. But, you you start Yeah. I mean it's it's I don't know, there's a connection there and there's a disconnect that a lot of people, you know, we are grown and you have your own choices to make and so forth, but but everyone comes from some type of brokenness, Yeah, right? 100% agree. And, and the way we learn to deal with it is absolutely inherited, right? Yeah. So I watched my family and my parents, my mother and aunts and uncles and, and all that. I learned the way they dealt with it was drugs and alcohol. And as a young kid, I hated it. I hated drugs, and I'll never do that when I grow up because of the way it affected me and my yeah. little brother. And, and, and but to so, you, it was the only answer. And then it ends up being yeah. that's the only thing I know, you know, to do. Mm-hmm. And and so I got to parts. I mean, when I was, I was seven, well, I was actually 18. I sit in county jail until I turned 18. And I wasn't uncomfortable with it, you know. I'd been through Oakley Training School a few times and, and the juvenile system, and I knew a lot of the, the guys. But, but it was... Uh, it was a different ball game. <laughs> it was serious now. And uh They put so you out there on the farm. <laughs> I get in, I get into the gang stuff and um and for me, I, I I decided, you know, I made a decision that that this is my life and this is what the hand I've been dealt. So I'm gonna be the best at it. And um and I devoted my life to being a leader of the gang and, and you know, a convict. 
And uh, uh, quick question: um, At this point, um, how many years had they sentenced you? Ten. Ten. Mandatory? Or? No, 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 no. I didn't have to do. I got out when I was twenty-one. No. And you did all that time at Parsons. Yeah, the first time was all in Parsons. Man, that's a, that's a rough yeah, place to rough. do some time at at eighteen. Yeah. Where do I know? Man. <laughs> all right. Woo. And so, I mean, I, I made it there when I was thirty. You know that that was. That was a shock and awe. Man, I tell you what, I was you know? blessed, man. I, I got sent to, I mean, the one year that I did, I did a lot of jail time, right? You know, county jail time in that in that 30 years. But um, God really protected me from that. Because, like, when I got, when uh, when I came out of quick bed from CMCF, they they sent me to, like, this little sweet gig in Loosedale where there was no, you know. Yeah. You were at a I work mean, camp. No. I mean, in Loosedale. I want to uh, say Loosedale is regional. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. a regional. Okay. And, uh, like, you know, there was no contraband. There was no, I mean, there was no, I mean, it was, it was sweet. I'm not going to get into that, but I mean, it was just, I was, I was really, I had a lot of anxiety and stress about either going to Green County or Parchment. I mean, I just not, did not want to go through that. I'm not built for that, you know. <laughs> Green County is something else now. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. Green the County is all. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like washing underwear. I just, you know. <laughs> we don't have enough time in this episode to talk about Green County. We, we, right. will, we, will, we will redirect immediately. <laughs> anyway, but, back to you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> so... You're you're up at Parchman, you're you've been thrown into that, and how 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 does somebody who you've grown up not being able to handle like you handle stuff with drugs and alcohol, and you're at the Parchman, you're in the most stressful environment, right? How are you dealing with it? How how are you coping with that? Uh, just focusing on on surviving, you know what I mean? Like, and for me, survival meant working out all the time. You know what I mean? Putting up this this front that, hey, guys, I'm not prey. I'm predator. You right. know what I mean? And so you, you stay in shape and you work out and, and mind your own business and uh, just get involved. That's what I did. I got involved in whatever was going on. You know, if there was some way to get some drugs, I wanted them. Or if there was, you know, some violence to be done, I want to be involved in it. And, and I guess at a young age, I learned, you know, the survival things. Because when you, when you got people incarcerated, men incarcerated, they're there's all this anger and, and, and all this stuff is bottled up inside them and they're looking for somebody to lash out. It is a lot of, it's a lot of plotting. Yeah. I mean, right. there's a really lot of plotting is. that goes into play. And like so you always have to watch your back. I mean, everybody wants to be the big man on campus. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and if you're not striving to be the big man on campus, you're one of the guys they're using to be the big man on campus. And I decided off the gate, I'm not going to be one of those guys. And, and through that, you know, I, I got a reputation. And, um, I mean, not a reputation to be feared or nothing, but he's not worth the effort. Cause he's yeah, <laughs> you, one, not to be toyed with. Right. Yeah. That's one you don't want to fool with. And Stay so, away from that one. <laughs> and so I got out when I was that one right 21. There. Back up. And um, I got out 21 just wide open. You know what I mean? I had a lot of resentment towards my family because up, you know, before I went to Parchment, I was robbing houses and robbing people and, and, and robbing drug dealers. And me and my brothers were doing all this stuff, you know, and, and my uncles and, and, and aunts and the stuff. They would sit in the background and just get to reap the benefits of it. Mm. And, and so then when I got busted and I went to prison, I didn't hear from any of them. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, good luck. And mm. um, Just left you out to hang dry. Right. You know what I mean? And so so when I got out, I really didn't have any. I was just mad, man. And, and um and just, I didn't last a year. 
in the last year, it was drugs and, and chaos and violence and just, just about, I was out about 10 months, I guess. I was out on a couple different bonds. I wouldn't have made it 10 months, but about 10 months, and then I went back. They gave me 10 years. And, um, and I remember sitting in, in CMCF and uh, with a fresh 10-year sentence, and back then you did no less than eight and a half on a 10. And uh, I was just mad. Like, I went into the courtroom to get it, my, my – I went for an open plea. Just threw myself to the mercy of the court. And the guy in front of me was in there for, for, um, for a sex charge with a 12-year-old girl. And he didn't give it two years. So I'm thinking, well, I might not be that bad off. And then they gave me 15 suspended, 5 and 10 to serve. And I was just mad. You know, I, mean, I was mad at God and, and life. And, and so when I hit Greene County in 1997 – I stayed, I stayed in the middle of some violence and, and whatever was going on, I was just, I really just was really angry. And so for two years, that's really, that was my drug of choice for two years was just fighting and getting in the middle of stuff. It's amazing you said that that way that you, you compared uh, violence and anger to a, to a drug. Because it absolutely yeah. it is. That is amazing. Because like... Uh, that's e- that. That's something easily addicted to. Like, I mean, the dopamine know. in your brain responds yeah. to anger just like sure. it does a hit of uh, yeah. you the, know, the adrenaline rush you get from like yeah. from that is intense. I know. <clears throat> well, you know, it's a different we, high, but it's yeah. a high. You know, back last year we had an episode on anger, and we were talk. We had read on some study, and I can't remember now. It's been so long, but it was something about anger is one of the very few things that your brain will actually readjust and get used to. And it'll almost be almost like a drug in itself. Of, yep. It will re- rewire the pathways in your brain. Yeah. And it will get to where your, your body relies on it more and more and more. Yeah. Anger. People don't want to talk about anger. Yeah. And they don't want to give, it. they don't want to give that one credit. <laughs> anger is. Well, to me, it sounds like Danny, um, you know, from start to finish, from chapter one to whatever chapter we're in right now, it's been nothing 21. but anger. You know, well, yeah, <laughs> chapter twenty-one. Twenty-one. Just throwing it out there. You know, just throw a number. Well, before we go any further, so where were you at in Greene County? Were you over in Area One or Area Two? Were you over in the Thunderdome? Where Where were you at? In the, on the new compound. Ooh, area that, two. That's Area Two. Area yeah. Two. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. It was oh, a they lot. were cracking heads over there all day long. Because that's uh, I, I remember uh. Whenever I was about to go the first time, you know, I was worried about going to Greene County because they said you don't you don't want to go to the Thunderdome. I was like, "What's the Thunderdome?" And they started explaining it. It's a Mel Gibson movie from 1994. <laughs> no, not <laughs> no, not, not that version of it. That was uh, like that's that's either you're gonna <laughs> make it Tina, out alive, or you ain't gonna make it. Wasn't period. Tina Turner in that one? Yeah, she was. <laughs> she definitely wasn't in Greene County. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably was, but it wasn't. A it wasn't that Tina Turner. <laughs> True. True. So anyway, oh man, that that that's a that's a hard stint right there. Right. It's Area two, Greene County. Eight and a half minimum is what you're gonna to have to serve on that, man. That's that was back when they did the the twenty percent, wasn't it? Well, it was eighty five percent, eighty five percent. Yeah, yeah. I have now question. it's the twenty percent. Yeah, that's what they got now. You know, at this point in Grand County in your life, I mean, were you uh, using uh, meth or no? You okay. really, right. Back then, weed was about the only thing you was gonna. Right. You know, there was yep. weed would come through and alcohol, and that would be about it. And um, I tell you what, how this was how violent Grand County was. When it when the new compound first opened, 
like it had just opened up. They had a guy get killed in the zone. Another guy hit him, and his head hit the bed, and, and, he, and he died. And so the captain, one of the captains that worked there, he come through to every building and would say, if you guys got to handle your business, I know how it goes. It's going to happen. Do it on the yard. Don't do it. If you do it in the building, I'm locking everybody down, and you're going to catch charges. But if you do it on the yard, we'll leave you alone. That's crazy, man. Right. And so every day. Man, it's controlled chaos. Yeah. Every day when yard call would come, you could know if people were on that fence, the fence in the middle. Yep. If, if there's a group of them up there, they're talking, and somebody's finna get it. And, um, yeah, it was just chaos, and you could feel it in the air. And and I, I tell you what, I was there for two years and jumped on a guy really for no reason. You know what I mean? Like he had done something somewhere else, and, and I just, hey, let's just get him. And, it was almost like an outlet for the anger. Right. It really was. And um, in the midst of it, he goes to the hospital, and he stays gone about two weeks. And I didn't think it was that bad. You know what I mean? Like – and, but when he comes back, they move him to another zone, and he tells a guy he had a plate in his head, and it, the plate had shifted, and they had to move it back. And if he'd have got kicked one more time in the head, he'd have died. And, and so word got back to me, and I sat on my bed, man, and I thought about it. I was like, man, I'm so mad about this 10 years that I'm finna make it a life sentence. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's reality. Like, the only reason I stopped kicking him was because another guy said, hey, man, the cops are coming, you know, the guards are coming. And, and it... I said I signed up then. They come through. They just started opening the regional facilities. I didn't even know where Winston County was. I just put my name on there. Yeah. And uh, started moving there. And I stayed in one regional long enough to get in some trouble. And then they moved me to another one. Well, to be fair, any place would be better than, than Green County. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even right. if you don't know where Winston County is, like, eh, it's probably Let's better go. than Green County. Yeah, sign me up. Oh. So I was just about to ask, how do you keep hope in a place like that, but I reckon that's is is getting out and moving to another facility. I reckon that's the hope of trying to yeah. make it day to day. Yeah, well, for me, the, uh, my main perspective then, or my main objective then, was I was still dedicated to being the gang leader. Mm. You know what I mean? And and so eventually that I achieved that big goal, <laughs> and uh, not, you know I went from place to place, and I eventually ended up back in Parchment and. Uh, I almost finished my sentence there. I did eight and a half years and went through a lot there. I went through that. I got married, got divorced, you know, um, this from 21 to 30. And I got out with the determination that I'm not going back. I'm going to try life. I'm 30 years old. I never really had a job. I never had a driver's license or a place of my own or, or anything. Anything I never experienced. So when you got out, did you go back to using and within a month I was locked back up, yeah. Oh wow. wow. And, and well I got out and this is something that like now is well this this was a lesson for me. Like I got out with the with the every intention of doing right. But I'd had no driver's license. You know what I mean? And the only job I could get paid like seven bucks an hour. Yeah. And I didn't have a ride to work. So it was discouraging more so than anything. Yeah. And I, did, and I was, I remember the day I got out or that I got out real, I got home real late at night. So the next morning, my mom takes me to um, Walmart and she's gotten older and married a man and, and she's, you know, she's slowed down a lot. She still drank, but they, they did it at home. And uh, we go to Walmart Saturday morning and I hit an aisle and there's, 
I'm, you know, trying to get some hygiene and stuff like that. And there was like 80 different kinds of toothpastes. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Mom, <laughs> what kind should I get? You know, and she's like, whatever kind you want. And I was just overwhelmed. There were people everywhere and, and there was just too much stuff. And I just, I said, let's do this another time. She's like, all right, come on. She kind of picked up on, you know what I mean? I was just overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, it was just... It was yeah. starting to trigger something You else. know what that reminds me of? What's that? And I don't mean to make such a light situation of this, but it reminds me of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And the old dude gets out. Absolutely. And he sees the cars everywhere. And doesn't know... Yeah. And he's like, what's this? And yeah. then he, it, it overwhelms him, and he goes and... Yeah, and then, well, then, you know, you got Morgan Freeman working in the grocery store, yeah. you know, and he's, like, asking, you know, can I go to the bathroom? He's like, you are, you know, yeah. I don't have to ask to go to the bathroom. You know, it's, it's yeah. like but you got to look at the picture that's painted, though. Yeah. You've got somebody that's been, you know. Institutionalized. Not, it's not even just institutionalized. Like, he's dealt with from the back end when he was born into a family that mm. was, they were dealing with addiction. His dad was already going to prison, right? Yeah. Correct. Right. And so then... Throughout his childhood, you've got juvenile, juvenile. That was that was the, the solid, the consistent part. And then prison, more consistency. But then you're getting out to the world. I mean, even in prison, I mean, you'd made such a name for yourself. You'd become kind of right. grand a big guy, you know. Right. Uh, but then when you get out into the world, you feel like a, a seminal nobody. Absolutely. And so that in itself will just take you all the way down because you're used to having whatever you need from anybody in a, in a facility. And I knew how to get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, right. Hey, go get such and such. I need some noodles or, or whatever the case may yeah. be. You right. know, for me, that's what, you know, as a, I was a noodle yeah. fanatic, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, but, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about my, my eating addiction, but right. so, you know, and just he, cause I know how it was for me whenever I got out and it was so hard for me to do life. Because I was so used to having to shower at a certain time, having mm-hmm. to use a bathroom at a certain time, right. having to eat early in the morning or, you know, early in the afternoon or you wasn't eating at all or, you know, having a yard time is at this time. I mean, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You go outside at this time. Your store was on a sheet of paper. You didn't go to a mall. You didn't go to Walmart or anything right. else like that. Everything that you needed was a, a number and then the item. And so you get out into the world and you're having to say, all right, I got to shop for shampoo. I've got to buy soap. All I know is this brand. Yeah. What is all this stuff? So, I mean, overwhelming. There well, Danny, Danny. Excuse me, gentlemen. Apparently, you three forgot that we have sponsors and we need to take an ad break. So let me break in, even though I'm not there. Let's take a short break. Show some love to our amazing sponsors. And we'll be right back. Fun and Shame Recovery Podcast is heard around the world in over 42 countries, including over 780 cities in all 50 states here in the United States. People around the world are hearing the message of the hope of recovery from addiction, and that's because of listeners like you who donate, but also because of our sponsors. Local sponsors like D's Automotive in Meridian, Mississippi, serving the East Central Mississippi and West Alabama areas for over 42 years. D's is a name you can trust when it comes to your vehicle. For all your complete car care needs and service and towing and car locks, that's D's Automotive. Go by and see Miss Jeannie, Mike, and the boys at 5024 Poplar Springs Drive. That's 5024 Poplar Springs Drive in Meridian. Or give them a call at 601-482-1800. That's 601 482 
1800 and tell them that Josh and Drew sent you. Now back to your normally scheduled programming right here on Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And we are back. Okay, gentlemen, I'm only there in spirit, but please continue. Danny, let me ask you a quick question. So uh, when you were in, in the grocery store and all this was happening and all that overwhelming came over you, did anger come along with that too? You know, fear. Fear? To be honest, it was fear. And so let me back. So anxiety, it turned into like an anxiety right. situation. Right. Almost a freak out. I was like just a, curious. Like a fish out of water, but let me backtrack. So when I was at Winston County, there was a me and the chaplain there kind of bumped butted heads, right? And um, I wrote him up, you know what I mean? I was trying to get some kind of religious stuff in that was it wasn't Christian stuff, and he didn't want to give it to me. So, but it was it was his job to do it. So I had to write him up to make him do it. And so we bumped heads, but he would come see me and talk to me. Every, you know, at least twice a week he'd come down there to where I was, knowing what I was doing and the stuff I was involved in, and just check on me. This guy named Raymond Price, I think was his name. And uh, we would talk from time to time. And then, so he gave me, a, I was up there talking to him, and I, I found this book called A Case for Christ. And I, and I read it, and there was so much information in it that I'd never heard before. Like I'm, I've sit through a thousand, I'm 10,000 chaplain services, you know, where they're talking about, you know, receiving Jesus Christ and being saved and you can go to heaven. And I really just, you know, to me it was like whatever. Wasn't no context you know I mean? to it. I prayed and he never, and, and I got 10 years, so, you know, God wasn't listening to me. And, and so I really didn't have much content, you know, and, and for me it was like what makes Jesus any better than Buddha or these Hindu gods? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. it's all based on who, who raised you and what they taught you. And then I read this book, and there's so much stuff in it that I never heard of. Like the 12 apostles were all killed. And, well, you know, 11 of them were killed, and all they had to do was deny Jesus. And yet they refused. Like yeah. they had to have been, maybe one person would do that, but 11 yeah. of them, yeah. plus all the other Christians, and just on and on and on, all this, this different stuff. And, and so I went and I asked Raymond Price about it. Man, I was like, man, why is nobody telling us this? Like they just come in assuming we believe in Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just tell us about Jesus and it's good. I'm not downing it, but nobody ever give me any facts, give me a reason to believe him. You know what I mean? Like, because in my heart, man, and I held this for a long time, is I was born into a toilet and God's mad at me for being what I was taught to be. Yeah. Like, how can you hold that against me? This is the only thing I know. If you wanted me to be somebody different, why didn't you give me a different family? You know what I mean? And so Ooh. it just didn't make sense to Literally me. Literally born in sin. Yeah. All right, and so, but but when I read that, it just kind of opened my my eyes up to you know to that, and so, but that was as far as it went. The only thing that really changed, I'll be honest with you, I did that, and then I did a discipleship course just because that was the only way I could earn any gain time. I couldn't get it any other way, and the changed. The only thing it changed for me is I knew that if when I died, I was going to go to hell. That was it. You know, and so up until that point, I was not afraid of death or nothing like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, the thought would come like, Danny, you're going to probably go to hell. You know, and um, that's crazy that you believe more in that than you did Jesus at that point. Right. At any other. That's in, like, that's that's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it just is like because I mean, I guess I've I've kind of been in that same. Boat. So right. what, what brought these questions about to you uh, to Raymond was it was the fear of going to hell. Is that Well, it was just the fact that that. Um, in my and as far as I was concerned, 
I couldn't be anybody different. Yeah. I didn't know how to be anybody different. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have any example of, of, of how to be someone different. We've all went to jail and said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you do it. Yeah. Return your own vomit. Right. Yeah. I've done it so many times that, that in my mind, it's my lie. I still want to do it. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean, I mean? But you didn't know a different way, though. Exactly. Nobody ever showed you yeah. anything else. Right. That they, it was even possible. And so, so anyway, I get out of the, the eight and a half years and I got out and I was so uncomfortable man and I was I was I went and got me a little job and I'd have to scrounge up a way to get to work and and things like that and um I had a I have a sister that has worked her whole life she's the only she did not follow the path of me and my brother you know what I mean but she's always had my back like no matter what she's had my back and you better not say nothing bad about me <laughs> she's gonna act a fool you know what I mean now she'll she'll get on me but nobody else better not and um but she she had life going on you know and, and so she's like you can stay here and, and I'll help you and this and that and I was just you know trying to make it happen and, but I was so uncomfortable and it was and I had no I, so did know, the I'm, I'm yeah go just, ahead so did the divine intervention and this is just a question that's gonna keep running in my head unless I ask it so did that happen, like the Raymond Price, the interaction with him, did this happen after the guy? That after you, what? The, the guy that you jumped on? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So this happened after that. Right. So in a way, God was already breaking your generational curse. Yeah. Right. He, had started, he was already stepping he just, into those it. Those seeds got planted, and um, and, and I, after yeah, that, after awesome. I read that book, I would read Christian books like Max Licato. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would yeah. sit and read them. You know what I mean? I was still living the same life, and I, you know, I was— I had a nickname, Little Rock. That's what everybody knew me from, and and so I was still Little Rock. You know what I mean? But but at nighttime, I'd lay down, I'd read a, a book by Max Licato or something. It was just, it, I was drawn to it. God was just already, you know, pulling I mean? on you. Yep, He was yeah. tugging at them heartstrings yep. right then, and, and and being out, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but not having really any idea of step by step, just trying to figure it out. And and some old buddies that I'd been in prison with and I'd known before. Found out I was out, and I got in t- they got in touch with me, and I felt comfortable around them. Those were the only people I really felt kind of old convicts and, and, and outlaws, and, and within a month, I was, I was arrested again. And the charge that they arrested me for was, was really bogus. You know what I mean? Like, they found some drugs in a girl's purse. She was driving her vehicle. They took me to jail and let her go. Oh, man. You know, I was mad about it, but now I know it was a blessing. See, that's going back to we know the episode we, we recorded earlier. It's a... Uh, um you know, it's like like God will create circumstances to sit you down. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to to draw you closer to Him. Because the the, the people are running with it wasn't long before yeah. they got busted, and, and I would have got a hundred years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, the charge in itself went away. I just it, they never did anything about See, it, but it yeah. violated my parole. Yeah. Mm. And so I went and did this is what's crazy. I went and finished my sentence. I did like another year and a half to finish the ten. Got out. And was out three weeks and got arrested again. And uh, this time, just, Man. you know, just running wild. See, I had this, all right, so the first time I got out, I was determined I was going to do the right thing. And I went to jail for somebody else's drugs. So this next time I got out, I had no, I, this is who I am. I'm going to party till I go back to jail. Why even, you know, go through that heartbreak again? And within three weeks, I was brought back up. And um, did another two years, I think. So what is the limit for the uh, habitual offender? What, what, oh, yeah, I, four times, isn't it? Just three. Your third, three. Your third, third yeah. felony. Yeah, I, I was habitual. What's well, like? All those times. Three right? three majors. 
Well, just your third felony is a, is a small habitual. If any one of those is violent, you can have the, what they call the big. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's mandatory. Beep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Habitual is what he meant, but there, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's called. Like, just, that's, generally, that's, that's what yeah, it's that's called. <laughs> and so, with the small one, if there's not any violent, you can they can make your sentence mandatory. Right. And if there's a, a violent, like if you had a violent crime 20 years ago, they can still give you a life sentence on it. Pull it back up. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And so um, I went back and did another two years on a gun charge and uh, got out. I decided to move to the coast, get away from Jackson and try to start over. You know what I mean? But And the truth of the matter is something I've realized is 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 drugs are just a symptom. Right, addiction is just a symptom. Whether it's a, you know, we all have this, whether it's addiction to drugs or sex or, or depression or anger, anger or gambling or whatever it is, all that is is a symptom of a heart issue. And so I took my heart issue with me to, to the coast, and the only thing that changed was I had to drive all the way back to Jackson to get drugs <laughs> because I didn't know anybody on the coast. Yeah, and, uh, and the insanity of the addiction, it right? Is, the right? insanity of the addiction. Right. My I, goodness. The girl I was with, her her dad owned a, a automotive shop, so I was working. You know what I mean. But then Friday I'd go to Jackson and come back, and and it, that went on for a while. And um, she got pregnant, and and the one thing that I always swore I'd never do was have a child. I'd raise a child the same way I grew up. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and the sad thing about it, the pathetic thing is, instead of stop doing drugs, I just left. You were literally trying not to pass on the generational curse. Right, you know. right. But instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to quit doing drugs and raise this kid, I just left because in my mind I couldn't stop doing drugs. And it's right. a very common thing, you know. And, uh, well, and, you know, a lot of people call it abandonment, but it's not. It, and you're, In your eyes, it's protection. And, yeah, in your eyes, right. you're like protecting. You're trying to keep them from yeah. seeing that lifestyle that you had to, you know, that bled into your lifestyle. Yeah. Yelling you how how else would you have solved that problem? Right. You know, this is that's all he knew, you know. So right. like uh, so instead he just again, distanced still himself. Had the I'm not saying it's okay or anything, but uh, you know, it's like he had to distance himself to to, you know, protect his child. You know, right. I get it. All right. And so this is where God steps in again. I come back to Jackson and I get pulled over one day, like the day after Easter, and I charge from this is in two thousand and eight. When this happened, that's yeah, 2009. This happened in 2009. A charge from 1996 from Florida, from Panama City, Florida, come up on me. So I got extradited to Florida, and I had to do four years over there. Wow. Yeah. Is there something about Jackson when you drive through here that you're going to end up in a recovery? Like if you're in addiction, because this is like the fourth guest that we've had. That driving through Jackson, they've gotten pulled over somewhere. And it saved her life. And it saved her life. Right. And it, what it did for me was, um, I don't know what it did, really. I mean, I know that, <laughs> I'd have called another charge yeah. in Jackson. You know what I mean? There's no telling. I could have OD'd or whatever. I was, yeah. I was just, you know, living on the streets. Well, it broke. So it sounds like it broke the routine. It did. It sent me over there. And then while I was in Florida, so in Florida Department of Corrections, you're going to work, period. It don't matter who you are, where you're at, they're going to make you work. And for the first time, I was able to be to work outside of the gates. You know oh, what I mean? Wow. I, in Mississippi, yeah. they kept me locked down. I was security threat group, gang member, you know what I mean, stayed in trouble. When I get over there, 
I didn't know anybody really. See, again, this God just uh, creating circumstances yep. to draw you nearer to Him. So, I mean, it really did. Like I had to learn. I learned how to work. Yeah. I mean, this might sound crazy as all get out. He was using what was familiar to you to get you to change to yeah. get you re and like what's the what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, Reinstitutionalized. Well, I don't know. No, not reinstitutionalized, <laughs> but like almost like reinstated with the, the world. Yeah, a little right. bit. Put that on because a I mean, if you're if you've gone from institution and facility, 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 and you've been institutionalized, you've never had to be outside the gate. All of a sudden, now you're arrested in Florida. You're working with something word. that's familiar, but. Learning. Unfamiliar. He right. was acclimating him. That's the word I was looking for. He was for. acclimating yes, him. Yes, that's, that's it. it. There we go. <laughs> y'all look at, look y'all at two of them are operating on your yeah. own frequency. Look at this old drug <laughs> out there. I knew God would give me the word. That wasn't me. That was Holy Spirit. Oh, man. I, I don't even think I pronounced that right. And I sure can't define it. I mean, I went to Jackson Public Schools, man. Come on. <laughs> so you, you've done got over into Florida. Yeah. Are things starting to take a turn? Or are, are, no, are things not really? I mean, I'm working like I worked on a farm, you know, and, and actually I started, I don't know, seeing that the leadership thing that I'd had in prison in Mississippi, you know what I mean? That that it kind of goes with me, right? Like I'd get on a work crew and within a month or two, I was the leader of the, the inmates or whatever. And um, but I was learning how to work. I was learning that there is, you know, that, that there's joy in it. Yeah, and, right, and getting yeah. up and doing something and making something and learning how to drive a tractor and, and that I was capable. Some men have that air about them. You, you notice that, like that, just that leadership quality. Of oh, course, yeah. you know, it's like just like when you lay eyes on them for the first time, they kind of command that kind of respect. You know what I mean? Danny well, certainly it's just, that. It's crazy that that's the fixture that out of the ruins that God kept. Yeah, was that leadership quality? Because right. you're now you're ministry leader. Right, you know. So I mean, it's that never went away. Well, there's just there's just some people mm. that can just walk in a room, and you know, and, and yeah. people Are gravi- drunk, yeah. gravitate to them, and it's just like we had a, a, a leader in our group when I first came into, and that was him. He, yeah, he could walk into the room. I mean, he was as humble as you could be, down to earth, but people were just instantly drawn to him, and he he was just a natural born leader. Didn't even have to try it. Yeah, and you. Just have people like that. It's amazing that you know God. Can, God can take somebody like Danny, like out of out of that pit and that darkness. That you know, literally, that was uh, the chaos. You know, in, you know a, a general of like a like a commander of chaos, so to speak, and then pluck him out of that and use it for his good and his army. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Commander Chaos. Yeah. Commander <laughs> Commander Chaos. That'd be a good name. <laughs> yeah. That should have been the well, you the know, title. Lieutenant <laughs> Lieutenant. Chaos. I mean, <laughs> what I was getting, I was like a lieutenant in you know the devil's army, as you know, yeah. and, and causing all that destruction and all that chaos and spreading all that fear and all that anger, and then God literally pluck him out of that and then flip it and you know, it's, and and use the the enemy's weapon against. So it. the one you know thing I noticed about the enemy, the devil, Satan, whatever name you want to give him, is that he'll take something that's good mm. and make it perverted. Right to evil. Yeah. So, even if with your situation, he knew what you were going to be. I right. mean, God knew what you were going to be. So Satan was just using every little instance that he could just to say, "Let's just keep this perverted as yeah. long as we can. Let's just keep it, you know, as nasty as we can for as long as we can." But God was just saying, "Nope, you think you got him, 
give me a second. Yeah. Right. Because right now, you're, all this stuff that you're doing, I'm going to use it somewhere. Yeah. You we were just I mean? talking about this. Literally. Right. That's, Literally. Like, that's why it was so easy just to yeah. Yeah. rebuild the ruins, man. So. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, 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 pro- we're probably in chapter 16 by now, I think. I, I think, I think, I mean, we're, I think we're beyond that, John. So yeah. what, what was that you said? God be doing stuff. God be doing stuff. He man. be doing stuff. <laughs> God be doing stuff. <laughs> right. He's definitely at work. And so I get out, same stuff, you know what I mean, run back to the streets. I tried to do right for a little while. I went back to the coast with my daughter. and, and Well, the girl that was pregnant, she had a little girl. And um, the little girl's first words were, were dada. You know what I mean? Oh, and like, man. man, that was my, but then the streets call. And, and, and I get caught back up in all of that. And I, and I end up losing custody of her. And, um, and I just went through, at that point on, I didn't really care. At all, yeah. you know what I mean. It was, it was just drugs, methamphetamines, hardcore in the motel rooms, using, abusing, just whatever, for um, I don't know a few years. I mean, every now and then I'd get, I got had to do a year in Rankin County on a little misdemeanor or whatever it was, and um, back on the streets running wild. I'd made a commitment: I'm not going to sell drugs and I'm not going to steal anything. And and. So I just really I relied on my reputation. That's what I, people gave me drugs and a place to stay. That's how I lived. <laughs> it's a I'm looking at Josh like I have something to say, but I don't want to interrupt it. But it's like it's part of that whole craziness of your addiction. How your mind works. It's like okay, I'm still going to use, but I'm not going to steal anything, and I'm not, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going. You're right. Uh, I'm going to do it my way, but this time I'm going to do it this way. It's I'm going justification. You know, I'm not going to sell yeah. drugs, and I'm not going to steal anything, but I'm not going to hurt anybody, but. I'm still going to use. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just not going to go back to prison. I'm going right. to stay out and, and right. do drugs. This is how we do it. We're going to get it right I'm gonna this I'm going to use drugs successfully. Yeah, we're that right. was, that we're was the key phrase right I always thought about but, in my story. And I, I've said this from time to time. With, with, with mine personally, how I could stay in my porn and sex addiction for as long as I did was I had to keep justifying it. I had to make myself out to be the good guy. Right. Like I couldn't – if I if – I Saw that I was the bad guy, I wouldn't be able to continue in it. Well, at least, I, I'm, at I, least I'm not physically cheating on my wife. Well, I made a, I made my wife out to be the bad guy. Oh, yeah. I made her out to be the bad guy, so I felt better about myself and so what I was, was doing. Vic- it was a victimization, yeah, yeah. by himself. That was the only way that I could continue on with that is yeah. by being in that mindset, and that's what we do. That's that that addict mindset yeah. of yep. we we we've got to justify and rationalize it. Yes, yeah, because yeah. if we can't. We're not going to continue in it. Right. Right. And I so mean, because it's not logical. Me, I, it's like I didn't have a choice. Yeah. This is who I am. Yeah. This is what I know. This is what I do. And people want to accept me for that. You know what I mean? And I like, it was her her grandparents, my daughter's grandparents' fault. You know, but the truth was I didn't want their granddaughter around a drug addict. And I can't blame them for that. No whatsoever. Yeah. And so I ran from that. But I used that as an excuse not to care, not to even try. Real quick. Um you mentioned your aunt earlier. Is in this point in your life? Is she still? No, she passed away. She passed, okay, I was just curious because I, I remember you had said that early on. She had said you are not going to get away with anything. Yeah. And obviously, um, here she, so, she was. She, she called that up. one. She, yeah, yeah. She really did. That sounds like every, every move you made. <laughs> I, I got locked up for. Them. Yeah, Danny, you and, took a pencil. Five years. I mean, <laughs> but still, it's amazing to me. It's like this is this is a, you know if you if the, if you listen to the story and going back, it's like. From that, from the time that seed was planted, yeah, it's like 
you know, God was already doing stuff. Yep. You know? really God was. be doing stuff. God be doing stuff. Yeah. He really was. Yeah. And so, so after being out and living on the streets and, 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 and all the, the chaos, like total chaos, um, I got arrested in Pearl for uh, possession of a stolen firearm. And the girl I was with at that time was pregnant. And so I sit in Run County Jail, I go to Run County Jail, and I know, I mean, they got me. You know, they, they found the gun. I told them it was my gun because, you know, I was in somebody else's vehicle. And I'm knowing I'm probably going to do about 10 years. Um, convicted felon with a firearm, and it was a stolen firearm. And and this girl's pregnant. And just I knew in my heart it was going to be a boy, right? And so I'm sitting in a cell, and just so happened to be in a cell by myself, man. And um, the reality of it hit me. Like, I'm going to give this kid exactly what was given to me. His dad's in prison and his mom's on drugs. So he's finna grow up exactly like I did, and it's my fault. You know what I mean? Like, that really hit me hard, and I really didn't know how am I going to live with myself with this. Mm. You know, it was it was eating me up. And so I was, uh, one night that the, they have a church call, and this guy comes in, and I was mad about it. I was watching TV. And so I'm headed back to my cell, and the guy, he says something. He was just talking. They hadn't even started it yet, and he says something to um, one of the other, one of the inmates. And I'd never heard it before, and, and I thought I'd pretty much heard everything these chaplains and, and, and stuff had to say. But he said, he said, you know, we're designed to worship and know God. That's how God made us. That's why he made us. And that when we don't do that, we have a hole inside of us, and we try to fill it up with other stuff like drugs and women or money or, you know, whatever it is. And he said, nothing ever fills it. And I'd never really heard that before, and it just got me to thinking. So... I go to my cell, get my Bible, and come back out, and I sit down, and I, and I can't tell you even what he said the rest of that night. But that night, I'm sitting in my cell, and um, for the first time in my life, I was just really honest with God. Like, like I just prayed for my son. Like, he's going to be, God put somebody in his life that's going to take care of him. God, that he don't use, he's not around the stuff that I grew up with. Give him, you know what I mean? And, and in the midst of that, I just asked God, like, why don't you love me? That was my, and I was crying. I was like, you know, they say you love everybody, but why not me? What did I do? Whew. And it was it was just an honest prayer. Like most most prayers in jail are get me out. Let me get out. You know, I'll do better. And, I, and but it but it was just to me, it was like, man, I'm I was born into this stuff. It's the only life I know and I can't get out of it. I can't. I don't know how to get out of it. You know what I mean? And so why don't you love me? And 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 from that point on, man, like I, I cried myself to sleep at night. You know what I mean? Like that was just just being raw with God. Things started moving, right? Like the girl who was pregnant, she sold everything she owned and bonded me out of jail. And so, and I had like a $50,000 bond. I had no hopes of getting out. And so she bonds me out and she's pregnant and, and she's using and, and I'm like, we're going to do good, we're going to do good. And, and we did good for a couple of weeks at my sister's house and then we, we, we got high. And then we sat down and we said, look, man, we got to go to rehab. You're pregnant. You can't be getting high. And you're not gonna stay sober if I'm not, if I'm getting high, and 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 I can't do it. I, I, we got to do something. I got charges on me. You got charges on you. We got this kid on the way. And so, my sister used to be married to a guy named David Dillmore, back when we were teenagers. And so David, me and David grew up together. He was the first. You know, we did a lot of crazy, crazy stuff together. And um, and I know he got to changed his life, like dramatically changed his life. And so him and my sister, they're not married anymore, but, but he's, we're all family. We're still family. They're like, yeah. you know, brother and sister now. And so David comes over. He finds out I met my sister. He's going to come over. Danny, can I talk to you? 
and he gets, you know, and we're sitting there having this conversation. We've had a few times. He's come at me a few times about Jesus. But he kept saying, he said, Danny, you know me. You know me. You know what I mean? And, and so that just resonated with me. Like, yeah, I've known you my whole life, man. And, and, and you were meaner than I was. <laughs> he was. David was. David was a mean guy. You know what I mean? Man. <laughs> and, and, and he was just as twi- just as lost as I was and just as outlaw as I was. And the only reason he didn't go to prison is because he had a dad who would, you know, keep him out of prison. and But God had changed him in such a way. And, and I just thought, I guess I'm, I'm going to go to Mercy House. He was the director of Mercy House. And and we ended up getting Tara, my son's mother, who's pregnant, right? Wouldn't none of the rehabs take her because she was pregnant, except this place in Vicksburg called Beautiful Deliverance. And so she goes there, and I go to Mercy House, man. And, um, and while I was at Mercy House, man, I was just, my thing was, like, I got there, and, and I'm like, God, I don't really know nothing about this. You know, these these people are raising their hands and praising, and you know what I mean? And, you know, I don't, but I do know this. I know that you changed David Dillmore, like, drastically changed him. And if you can do that for him, then you can probably do something for me. You know what right. I mean? And, and, like, so I just followed David's lead, like, you know, and, and would listen to what he had to say. And, um, and God just... There's that example. Right. And God just, he, he revealed himself to me. Like, there's a couple of time things that happened at Mercy House. Like, like here's one that did. Okay, so Tara's pregnant, and, and they're letting us get visits. You know what I mean? They're, they're going out of their way for us, really. These people are just good people, man, good Christian people. Like, they'll go pick her up and bring her from Vicksburg to Georgetown so we can see each other. Anyway, she tells me, like, that my son's going to have to be born in Jackson, can't be born in Vicksburg because of uh, he's going to have to have surgery as soon as he's born. He had something going on with him. She said, but don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I thought about it, man, and, and of course it gets to eating at me, and, I, and, and, and you know, I'm kind of freaking out about it. And she, But she's like, ask David if you can come to the, to the doctor visits with me because we've got to go to this high, whatever it is, this specialty doctor in Jackson. And um, so I asked David, and he's like, yeah, just let me know when it's going to happen. And so Sunday, we go to Southside Assemblies of God over in, in South Jackson, and there's this little lady there named Miss Jean. She's like 80 years old, like four foot six. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but she's a powerhouse. And she's everybody's grandma. All the Mercy House guys, she's their grandma. She's going to come, and she's going to hug your neck, talk to you, and she's going to pull you out and, and help you praise God. And she's going to, you know. <laughs> She's, she, she's just a good little lady. Anyway, she's talking to the guys, and then she walks off. She turns around. She looks at me, and she says, you, come here. So I go up to her, and she's like, you know Jesus? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I thought so. She said, what's bothering you? So I get to telling her, you know what I mean? And, and in the midst of that, I'm crying, you know, like my son, you know, blah, blah, this and that. She said, All right, well, we're going to pray about this, and we're going to pray in agreement. I said, yes, ma'am. So we prayed, and, and she prayed, and I don't know what she said. You know what I mean? When it was over with, I'm crying. And, and she looked at me, and she said, don't worry about it no more. She walked off. All right, so that Monday, I called Tara and tried to find out, you know, about the doctor visits, and, and, and it's for the next Tuesday. So we have to make arrangements. So we have to go pick her up because uh, Beautiful Deliverance didn't have a ride for her. Pick her up. We go to the doctor in Jackson, and they do all the little sonograms and stuff. And then the doctor comes in, and he gets to looking. And he's like, uh, I don't know what these people are talking about. 
says, let me show you something. He shows, he's got the little arrow thing pointing. He says, see that? That's his brain. See that? That's his organ. See, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this baby. Mm. I don't know what these people thought they saw, but there's nothing there. We got sonogram pictures of before then, right, when they found out that he had some issues and he was going to have to have surgery. But that day, there was none, right? And so, and I know that, like, God just used those moments, and there's a couple more that happened to where when it was all over with, there's no doubting in my mind. You cannot convince me that God is not real. And that's right. Jesus Christ is a son oh, he of was God. Showing, he was right there with you the yeah. whole time. Right, because, yeah. you know, all yeah. the doubts and stuff went away as far as that. He convinced me, right, that, that, that he is real. And, um, and man, what was the question you asked? What would it look like if yeah. you knew that God was going to rebuild yeah. the ruins? Yeah. Man, what, what, how would you live today differently knowing if, God, God was, was going to one hundred percent, without a doubt, rebuild the ruins. Mm. And so, I stayed there a year. I'd love to say, well, I, I never, I, I still failed. You know what I mean? I failed, and then I left. The feds picked my charge up. It went from a, a state charge in Rankin County to the to the FBI picked my charge up because it was a gun charge, and uh, they indicted me armed career criminal, and which means like in the federal system they got a point system. And, and what, like what your charge carries, you know, depends on how much your, how much, what you, what the charge is and, and, and your, your background and, and all these different things. And they indicted me armed career criminals like their equivalent of habitual offender. Right. And so the least I could get was 15 and the most up to a life sentence. Mm. And that kind of freaked me out. You know what I mean? Like they come pick me up, take me to Madison County Jail. And they served me these papers and all this stuff. And, and my lawyer's telling me, that, well, the best we can hope for is 15 years. And in the feds, 15 years looks like about 12 or 13. And so I'm like, God, I thought we were doing something. Still doing 85% of the time. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I thought, you know what I mean? You've done, done some really amazing things in my life, man. And, and now the least I'm going to get is 15. And, uh, but the judge... Judge does something. He says, I'm going to do something I've never done in my career, and I'm going to release you back to Mercy House. Man. You know, he's, he's like, like we do this on a, it's, it's decided on a four criteria, and that's the charge, how much evidence they got against you, which they've got you on video admitting to the charge, how much time you're facing, you're facing up to a life sentence, your background, which you have got a extenuous criminal background, and whether or not you pose a threat. He said, and you failed three out of four of those. He said, but I'm still going to send you back to Mercy House. But God. Right. Yep. That right there. Absolutely. And the feds are. It's got to be from God because that makes zero sense. Yeah. yeah. That is one. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many stories like that. Too, I mean, man. it's just the fact that, you know, him being habitual offender. Yeah, man. Violent offender. I mean, right. the, the cards that are aspects. stacked against him going I mean, into this gang is not leader, looking good. A gang leader man. at one point. You know, well, and I mean, it's just all this stuff that's piled up, and the judge just goes, "You going back to rehab?" It's like I can literally see uh, Satan himself standing there, like, "Ha, got you, got you, got you, goodbye." And then God's like, Mm-mm, "No, I got this. And this then, one's mine. Yeah, this one's mine. I got this." But I want to go back because have you seen the progress from where he made that prayer? Yes. Like, Why oh, don't man. you love me? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, that's we're, another thing. It's like, I can literally, when he, uh, what, uh, when he was telling that part of the story, I could literally see God looking down on him. It's like, that's what I've been waiting on. Right. That was the moment. This is yeah. what I've been waiting on. Yeah. Right, like I got real been waiting on you. Yeah. And so and he started showing me and I stayed in mercy house a year and I failed. I relapsed and I left. 
cut the ankle bracelet off and I ran. And for nine Haven't months, you learned yet? You ain't going to get away with nothing. I mean. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> I mean, your aunt told you that. And so I'm running from the feds right there, kicking doors open in Jackson, looking for me. And um, and I'm hating myself. You know what I mean? Like, I'd look, I'd sit in the mirror, I'd stare in the mirror and just and cuss myself out. Like, I hate you. You're worthless, dude. You blew it. You blew it now. And uh, I was living, and I was staying with a friend out in Lena, Mississippi, out in the country. Nobody knew where I was, really. And, and so... I was staying out there, and this this friend of mine, she comes and visits me, and she tells me, she's like, look, I got to go to church tonight. She said, I didn't go to church today, and she's, I, she's real serious about her, her tithing. She said, so I've got to tithe. I've got the money. I've got. She said, I can go to any church. It don't matter what church. I just got to do this. I made a promise. I'm like, all right, we'll go. She said, no, you got to go with me. I said, I'm not going to church. I'm not doing it. She said, it's your fault I miss church, so you've got to do it. you got to go with me. And I'm, I don't want to go. The shame and the guilt yeah. are just laying on top of me, right? And um, finally, I'm like, okay. So we go to this little bitty church right down the road, this little little Baptist church, man. And we, it's a Sunday night, and we pull up, and we go. To, the doors are locked. And then somebody tells us, says, well, they're over in the gym. They're in the next little building. It's the fifth Sunday, so they're doing the potluck thing. So we go over there, and, and, you know, I eat some of the best chili in my life, and everybody's like, <laughs> all these older ladies are, you know, hey, it was where y'all food. from? Yeah. The food got him. Yeah, and, and <laughs> we're just talking to them, and, and it was, you know, and we leave, and, and we go to the store, and she goes in the store, and I'm just sitting there, and I started crying. I was like, you know, I remember the prodigal son. Like, I had all this gain, this shame and this guilt, and I was didn't want to go, I just didn't want to go back in there, man, because I was going to feel it all. And I show up, and all they had for me was a bowl of chili. You know, that's what God had for me, right? And a potluck like, at a church, it's almost like a party. Right. It was, yeah, so I was expecting... Well, you know, that's you know, the equivalent of the robe and the ring and the fat right. and, you know. Yep. And, and so I just cried and cried, right? And, and then, so I'm sitting that's out awesome, there, and, and I started going to this little church. Like, I didn't have a ride or nothing. I'd, I'd hop on this little dirt bike and ride up to the church. It wasn't very far. And just sitting there, and, and that was the only time I found peace, right? Because any other time, I'm hating myself, and I'm... You know, the feds, are, oh, I, I'll never see my child. And when they do catch me, they're going to give me a life sentence and, and blah, blah, this and that. And so I just go to church on Sundays at this little bitty church and sit there and, and I'd have a little peace. And finally, somebody contacts me and tells me the feds know where you're at, that they're coming. You know what I mean? And so my friend's like, man, you want me to hide you out? You want me to put you on the bus? What do you want to do? And I was like, no, if they're coming, they're coming. It's time. You know what I mean? I'm not running anymore. If God's ready for me to, to go to jail, then I'll, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not doing it. I'm tired of running. And um, and they kicked the door in Tuesday morning. And uh, so I get in, back to Madison County Jail, and I'm I'm thinking 20 years. The lease was 15. I ran from Mercy House after doing a year there. They're probably going to give me 20. And and so, but I I read my Bible every day. You know what I mean? And I started really like, God, I'll serve you in prison. Yeah. Like, if you'll just give me some peace about this, I'll serve you in prison, man. I yeah. screwed up, but you haven't turned your back on me. I know you haven't. And so I'll just serve you in prison. And, and, and the things that I learned at Mercy House, I started doing in jail. Like getting man. up and doing my Bible study and, and, and doing my prayer journal and, and doing a prayer call for the guys and doing Bible studies for the guys. And just, you know, that was it. I'm going to serve you in prison, God. Just please watch over my son. And so I was sitting there for 10 months. They kept postponing my court date to get sentenced because they had that sweep a few years back when they swept 
all the chicken plants and arrested all the illegal aliens. Oh, yeah. So that put me on hold for like nine months. And then five days before court, my lawyer comes in and he says, sign this paper. And I look on it and I'm withdrawing my guilty plea. And they've got, I said, I can't withdraw my, they, I can't take this to trial. You know what I mean? I yeah. admitted to the charge. I said, what's this about? And he said, I'll, I'll explain to you. So I signed it. And he says, look, with that charge, the judge's hands were tied. He had to give you 15 years. So what they're going to do is they're not going to convict you of that charge. They're just going to convict you of a possession of a stolen firearm. And you'll get around two years. Mm. And I thought he's, I wasn't sure if he said 10 or two. 10 sounded great. You know what I mean? Like Compared to the letter. Yeah. yeah. What I was thinking was 20. If he, 10, I, I'll be out in time to teach my son to shave. That's what, that became my prayer. Like, God, I just want to teach him how to shave. Yeah. And uh, I said, did you say two or 10? He said two. I just started crying. I was like, man, I don't know how you did that. He said, it wasn't me. It was the DA. Oof. She didn't want to throw you away. I'm like, oh, wow. that don't happen, right? The DA's job is to throw you away. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. I mean, I do know. I know it was God. But that's, I had a public defender. They had me dead to the right. And I had every, they had every reason to throw me away. And they they gave me two years. And with the public defender, I mean, their their main goal is to get you to plea out. Like, yeah. Right. That's, they, they're not there to fight your case. I mean, I'm and, not and, speaking for all. you got some that will step right. out. But most public defenders... They get paid a fee to get you to plea. And at, yeah. and at like this, that's the saying. And at the this point, and at this point, you'd already served 10 months of that too. Right. Sitting in, and so I I got the two years and I went to the feds in Yazoo and did like a year there. Most of it was locked down because of coronavirus. And uh, But while I was there, like, so the feds are wide open. You know what I mean? When you go out to chow, there's drugs and just whatever, you name it, they got it. And And so I would... From the time I leave the building till I got back from going to child, I would just keep reminding myself, like, like you're not a drug addict, Danny. You're a child of God. You're a man of God. Amen. You're renewed. And, and, and things of that, I just, you know, and I'd go to every church service they had, and I just stayed focused on that, right? And that's, that's right. the first time I'd ever done time where I wasn't getting high and wasn't fighting and wasn't off in the middle of a bunch of stuff. And um, You're actually doing the time and not numbing it. Man, right. this just yeah. proves that God be doing stuff just be all doing the time. Be doing stuff, God be doing stuff. I think I'm gonna we're gonna change our motto. No, you're not. From uh, from breaking the shame and stigma of addiction and recovery to God, God be, be doing, doing stuff. stuff. God be doing stuff. No, no, you ain't doing <laughs> it. It's been a process, you know. Yeah. Like so, they tell you, you know, it's a process. And I can remember messing up at, at Mercy House, and, and I went to my counselor one day about it, and I was just crying. I was like, "Look, I just why well, I came in there. I want you to know that I'm not faking it. I'm really trying, man. And and, and so I, I did. I screwed up." But I'm not screwing up all the time, and I just got caught. I mean, I'm really trying. He said, Danny, we know you're trying. Do you really think after 30 years of hardcore addiction that you're just going to do it yeah. like that? We know. It's a process, bro. <laughs> just keep trying. One day at a time. Right. The magic button. Yeah. I think we all look for the instant magic button. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I guess we respect yeah. to say a prayer, and then I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm not going to want to get high or right. anything. And it, and it just didn't work out like that. Yeah. And, and so it's been a process. Like, I got out, got married was going to church and, and, and all this different stuff. And, and, and so I jumped ahead of God. I should have never gotten married. And, and um, to the woman that I married, it, we weren't ready. You know what I mean? Neither one of us. And uh, But I was just chasing, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and this is, I'm going to do this. And, and, and it, it all fell apart. Danny be doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did I say, though? I said, anytime that we get a blessing and we start sticking our hands into it and yeah. not relying on faith and God's work, 
and Absolutely. trusting the process, it's gonna fail. Yep. Like if you hang a chandelier from a ceiling without the instructions, it's that gonna thing's fall. gonna hit the ground Absolutely. and shatter. And it's probably gonna land on my head. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and and so that all fell apart, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And um, I ran back to the streets. Right. Well, I didn't run. I ran back to the drugs. But I was still working and, and, and trying to maintain, and I'd try to get off of them, and I'd fail, and I'd get back, and I'd fail, and I'd get back. It was, it was a roller coaster ride, man. And I was sitting in Mendenhall, and I prayed one night. Like, I prayed to God. I said, God, I'm trying. I can't. I can't seem to get out of this hole, man. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying. Like, help me. And so two days later, I woke up in jail. And, and I woke up knowing that this was God. Like, it was, that my view of it had changed. Like, this is, he helped me. And so I was in jail once again for somebody else's drugs that they told them they were their drugs. And, 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 and so I sit in jail for 20 months. And in that 20 months, my prayer was, God, whatever you want in my life, put in my life. And whatever you don't want, take out. And I lost everything. He took everything. Like I got out of jail with a pair of jogging pants. I lost my wife, my truck, my tools, my clothes, everything. But in the process of that, like those 20 months were probably the best 20 months of my life. Like, as far as my walk with God, because it was just me and him, mm. right? Like, I was teaching Bible, I mean, doing Bible classes and teaching stuff in, in the jail, and uh, I got a job in the kitchen, and so God just took care of me, and and, and, and I was studying and reading and, and just really drawing closer to God and learning what it really means to know God, like, not just to know who God is, but to know him, like, he was, he did that time with me completely and totally, and, and and so I got out with absolutely nothing, and I went to Vicksburg. And um, the reason I went I, right before I got out, I was like, God, I don't know where you want me to go. I'm no longer making decisions. Like I'm done thinking Danny has it all figured out. I just know that 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 I need you to tell me where to go and what to do from here on out. And so I got on the phone with my son's mom, and you know she let me call, and she's Danny, come tell your dad. His name's Danny as well. Come tell your dad you love him. And, and, and he, he didn't want to. He was doing something else. And she, come tell your dad you love him. And he gets on the phone and, and, and he says, when are you coming home? And it broke me, right? Like I could hear it in his voice, like he's tired of telling his daddy he loves him. Like I'm done with that, man. When are you going to be my daddy? And uh, so I went up to my cell and I said, God, I'm going to Vicksburg unless you got other plans. Like if you don't want me to go to Vicksburg, you're going to have to make me not go there because my son needs me. And so I go to court. On my violation, you know what I mean, for the, the federal probation. And um, my PO is trying to throw me back in prison, and the judge just shuts him off. That's not going to happen. And he asked me, he says, Mr. Ivey, he says, you seem like a good guy. Like, you're a hard worker, and you don't seem like a bad guy, but you got this addiction that keeps getting you locked up. So what are you going to do about it? And, and I, was, I said, Your Honor, I've come to realize, man, that I can get out with all the intentions of doing right and, and be determined to do right. But life happens, right? And, and I have no idea how to, how to handle it. Like I've never, I, I don't know how to deal with life. And I know that I can get out today with every intention, but it's going to happen. Life's going to happen. It's going to throw me a curveball and I don't know how to deal with it. So I want to go somewhere where somebody can teach me how to deal with this thing called life. And uh, he says, all right, well, do you have anywhere? And I said, well, that, this beautiful deliverance in Vicksburg, this lady, Lisa Cap. That's what she dedicates her life to, is helping people, people like me. And they've got a bed open for me. He says, all right, well, then we're going to put it on there. That's where you're going. Good luck. And so I went out there, and um, I get there. And so the, the 
the Danny Danny has learned to submit. Amen. Right? Like that was what God told me when I was in jail. Like I was asking God, why do I keep failing? Like I want to. You know I want to. You know it's in my heart, but I keep failing. And and, and, and God just told me submit. Right? Like like Danny, you don't have a clue. So why why think you do? You know, I, and and so I went there and I told Miss Lisa Cap, I'm like Miss Lisa, I'm submitted. You tell me what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. That period. You know what I mean? And man, she told me to sit down for thirty days, fresh out. Nobody wants to sit down, <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I sit down and just stayed studying my Bible and, and spending as much time. My son lives right down the road, and right, and and I'm his hero all of a sudden. Man, and and and. What's the word I always say? If nothing changes. Nothing, nothing changes. changes. Right. So the, that that one instance of you finally not getting out and then running out straight to the streets or right. going to find a homeboy, or, you know, or, or a woman. Yeah, I mean you know to literally man. sit still because that's yeah. what God wants us to do. Yeah. You know, as much as we stay so busy in life and we feel like we have to run the rat race continuously, right. is He just wants us to sit still and be at peace with Him. Like the the your aha moment was you know you were sitting still just be still you were sitting still right like, just trusting God like like okay for me the the big always in my mind was the big issue was drugs like if I could just learn to hate drugs and not love them like I hate the consequences of them but I got to hate them yeah and if I could just start hating them everything would be okay truth be told you probably hated them the whole time yeah. Right. Well, now I actually I hate them, hate them, right? Yeah. Like, I hate them, man. And not only in my life, but like I've lost somebody here recently that was super close to me. Oh yeah. And and it's just I got a different view of them. But that's not the only right. I got that out the way. But there's other issues too. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? The other issues will rain you right back. Yeah. You know, like most definitely. Like, like I feel like I gotta have a girlfriend. I gotta have a woman. I gotta have somebody validate me and f- make me feel special and. And all that does is cause problems. Like I'm trying to, you know what I mean? And and so God has been showing me here recently that it's a heart problem, Danny. That, that don't don't label it as just drug addiction, because you can get the drugs out of the way and still have problems and issues that that, that we don't even. I don't think I got to face them. It's okay to have this and have that in my life, as long as I don't have drugs. And that's a lie. Right. It really is because God, the devil don't quit. He's not like. Well, he quit doing drugs. I'll leave him alone now. <laughs> no, he's going to no, no, send no. this woman your way, or he's yeah. going to send whatever it takes. And actually, he comes at you a little bit harder when you're walking with Christ. You Absolutely, know? It's like, he does. You know, it, it's not all it's rainbows and sunshine. It's the distractions that yeah. he creates. Absolutely. That's yeah. what gets you is because you you don't even realize how subtle it happens. Like, you'll be sitting there fine. You got your Bible. You're reading. And all of a sudden, you, you got a time more to work. Yeah. Or... Your kids are getting busy, you know, right. or you got soccer, baseball, da, 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 you know, just everything starts to, you know, just pop pulling up. At you, yeah. You know, Facebook, whatever the case may be, all this stuff starts hitting at you. How long have you been out this last time? About seven months. Seven man. months, man. Yeah. And so I'm working on my three years of sobriety. Amen. Awesome. And, uh, when, what, what date is that? December, like December 14th. Okay. Awesome. Amen. Awesome. 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 So we went to party. Since I've been at Beautiful <laughs> Deliverance, right? We've um, <laughs> been to open up a sober, sober living house. Sober party. I'm this, sorry, Danny. This coming week, all the guys will be moving into a sober living house. So I'm leading that. And Miss Lisa's got me preaching once a month. Like who'd have thunk it? I'm right? telling that you, blows man. my mind. Like huh? your aunt. Your aunt. Your aunt. Yeah, your aunt. She told you from the get go. And 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 
doing this CR thing. And so the CR started, it was really my buddy was, like I said, we were doing the book drive, just trying yeah. to get some books up. And no then, case. Yeah. And then Alex was like, hey, why don't y'all just take over the CR? And, uh, and then Foundry jumped in and said, well, we want to do that. We want to be a part of it. And I'm in the background going, Casey, don't drag me into this. <laughs> and, and, and next thing you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm the leader, right? Like, how did this happen, Casey? Natural born leader. <laughs> so God done put you back in leadership. Yeah. But, but I'm loving right it, though. God I do. be yeah. doing stuff. I really do. I yeah, love I'm it, man. Doing. It's um, it's like God said, oh, we got a leader right here. Yeah. Oh, the devil put some dirt on it. Let me yeah. Yeah. get that off of there real quick. And it's just amazing, especially, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, man, like, I grew up in South Jackson myself. Danny's a little bit older than me, but I grew up with his brother. And uh, I heard, I wasn't around Danny all that much at all, really. But I heard, uh, I heard the Danny stories. You know what I'm saying? And um, we never, we didn't formally meet until literally just a couple months ago or something like yeah. that. Um, he he was uh, literally next door to my partner's house in Florence with Casey and David Delmore uh, working. And man, I'm I'm telling you, um, when I officially met him for the first time, he had this just the, that light on him, you know, that you see uh, when, when you know somebody's just anointed, you know, yeah. that that when somebody is just powerful in the spirit, man. And bro, I gotta say, look, guys, uh, you know, especially you know, not just you, Casey, Benny, me, man, it's it's just amazing, and Josh and Drew, it's it's just amazing what God can do, man. Yeah, it's just a, it just never I never get tired of hearing these stories. It just blows my mind. It's hard to wrap my mind around it sometimes. I know. It's just beautiful. Right. And so, so like, all right, I've told my story as far as my life. You know what I mean? But I remember going when I first hit Mercy House, and I'd been there maybe two weeks, three weeks. So I get in. David Dilmore pulls up, and I get in a truck with him. You know what I mean? And I just that's like, Dave, man, I want to tell you something, man. Bro, I'm so proud of you. I just want you to know how proud I am. Like, I remember the old guy. I knew that guy. And what you're doing now, the man you've become, and it amazes me, and I'm proud of you. And he kept saying, Danny, it's not me, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. But, Dave, you don't. I know that. I know it's Jesus. But, man, the man you've become, he said, Dan, Danny, Danny, it's not me, it's Jesus. Any good thing you see in me is Jesus Christ, right? And so now God's doing amazing things in my life. Like, in for me, just somebody would even call me up and say, man, I got a problem. Can you help me? That blows my mind. You know what I mean? Like people, you know, call me and ask me to get them, help them get to a rehab or, or can you, and it's like, man, God. Send me. I'll, yeah. And, and and here lately, he's been really pouring into my heart. Like like the beginning of my Christian walk has been me, 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 me. God fixed this problem. God fixed that problem. God fixed me. God helped me, 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 me. And through all that, God has done all those things, and he reached that point where, Danny, can you just trust me now? Like, yeah. you don't have to keep, you know, let's let's focus on some other people. Right. Like, you, you, yeah. I've proven to you that I got you, but, but what about other people? And so now I'm, I'm, I'm getting into that, and it's like, there's where that joy is. Yes. Right? There's really where the joy is. Like, it's great that I got a truck and a job, and my, I got my son in my life, and, and it's great that I got, you know, a little money in the bank, and I've never had those things, and those are wonderful things, and and God has given me all those things, but there's no feeling, man, like just like like praying with a guy. I know. Like week four last, we're praying with this dude, and he, he's just crying. He's a young cat, and he's fighting for his life like he really is. He he showed up when I told him. I said, bro, if you're serious about getting off drugs, just show up. And he showed up, and Miss Lisa's got him going to a 90-day program, which most guys, I only want 30 days. He's like, I'll do whatever. I'll go wherever. I want a different life. 
And he's like, man, and I, I, need you, I need you to help me, Danny. And I'm like, okay. And so, bam, he left. But before he left, we got to pray over him, right? And so I'm just, Miss Lisa's doing the pray, and I got my hand on him, and I could hear God saying in my heart that this is one of mine, Danny. I was like, God, <laughs> I'm being a part of that, right? That's it. I'm just being a part of it. It's all him, but, like, God, you would let me be a part of this? And if you can't see Jesus on this dude, then you are blind, right? Man. Right. Yeah. When you said that made me think about two years ago, three years ago, I went and I shared my testimony over in Morton with Aubrey's group right. at, at Church of the Church King. Church of the King. And uh, I shared my story there. Well, no, I take that back. I just lied. It was not Church of the King. It was over at Dayspring in Clinton. Okay. It was, But Aubrey was there. Yeah. Dave Sheffield. Aubrey had brought in a group over there. And anyway, I shared my story there. Right, Dave. And uh, Aubrey approached me afterwards, and he had a guy with him, Chris. Chris is struggling. Would you mind praying with him? And I was like, ah, absolutely. I, I, I prayed with Chris, and I saw Chris back at Recovery Fest. And he was kind of updating me on some things that was going on through his life since that that moment. Yeah. I was like, man, God, I got to be a just part a of small that. part of that. Absolutely. Like, that's it. And like, it's right? like, like ah. man, like, uh, it just, it, it does something it to shifts. you. It does. Yeah, yes. it shifts yes. your whole perspective mm-hmm. on what this is really about like mm-hmm. it's just a my yeah and that's like that's what god's just been pouring to me here lately like today's my birthday you know what well, I mean? birthday. Birthday, man. this is a present from god like getting to come here and just man. you know what i mean like how about that absolutely man and so 34 years old absolutely man <laughs> 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 Danny, I, look, listen, man. I, I can't tell you what an honor it has been just uh, sitting next to you, man, and then hearing all this, and, and and not only that, but being a part of of this birthday yeah. you know, with you, man. Well, I, let me There's say so this, many like, preaching moments in his story. That is, I mean, it is amazing. Like I know we normally do. What's the big takeaway yeah. about this point? Can't do but, it with this one. No, because I mean. We would literally start another show yeah. on the big takeaways. Because, I mean, there's just so much. Yep. So much. And what were you about to say, Danny? I was just going to say on the way here, you know, I'm praying about it, right? And and the thought occurred to me, y'all, and I want to honor y'all, right? Like like church, we got churches, and we got CR groups. And, and, and you know what I mean? We got A meetings and NA meetings and things like that. But there's more. Right? And you guys are, are, are creating a platform. You guys aren't like, I know this is big in other places, but I didn't even know they had podcasts going on in Mississippi. Much less, <laughs> yeah. much less Christian right. podcast yeah. Yeah. and recovery podcast. Right. And so I, I just, I, man, it's awesome. Like yeah. it really is, man. My hats off to you guys. Um, we're we're, we're, we're honored to have you be a, be a part of it, man. Like, yeah, sure. man. We, I, I, I can tell you, man. This, this here is one of the more powerful stories that I've heard in a long, very long time. Probably since episode forty-two. Here we go. <laughs> that was my episode if you don't know I'm over here just like hey, here we go <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding Josh I'm sorry so I want to tell a story of of I guess one of the most impactful moments for me was was um it was in 2017 my son's mother she was still pregnant right and she was in Vicksburg and I go over there they got this thing this little revival they do every year at this church and um, Miss Lisa Cap, she was over the, you know, had the women's house then, and she comes and tells me, she says, "Danny, I want you to go to this revival because I think God's got something you need to hear." So I said, "Okay." So this guy named John Skipworth is preaching every night, 
And every night, man, he's, he's just a powerhouse, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed to hear. And so his last night, I'm there. In the beginning of the sermon, he, he says, he tells us all, you know, everybody, just turn to the guy next to you and give him a 30-second testimony. And the only person I knew there was a guy named Chris Durrell, other than, you know, my son's mother. And so I turned to him, and we, Chris had been through Mercy House, so it was basically the same thing, you know, we both been on, on drugs and this and that. So anyway, this guy goes to preaching, and he preaches on the, the very first miracle of Jesus, where he turned water into wine in, in the, at the wedding in Cana. And he's walking through it, and, and um, you know, he explains that, that the water pots were what they used to wash their hands and their feet, you know what I mean? And, and, and he just breaks it all the way down. Like, so this, he never told them t- to clean them out and fill them up with water. He just said, get dip a cup of water and get a cup of water out of that so this servant is carrying this cup up there with 30 foot water in a time where if he hands this to this this high official guy they're gonna cut his head off if it's got a toenail in it you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and so in the process of that it gets right. there and 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 um it's, it's the best wine the guy ever tasted you know what i mean and so he's preaching the sermon it's really good man and he makes the statement he says um if you're worried about how you're going to turn water into wine, you're worried about the wrong thing. That's not your job. That's God's job. He turns the water into wine. You just have to carry the cup. And, and right, I just started bawling, right, because up until that Ooh. point, it was that was my issue was how can I do this? Like, I want to do this, but I don't know how to do this. Like, God, how can I do this? Man? How do you change the water? And, and yes. That like, was your thing? How, like, how, how can I get this? How can I make something different out of my life? I don't know how. And that guy said that. He said, that's God's job. You just carry the cup. You Amen. know what I mean? Good stuff. And, and so that's that's been, so I've failed since then. But I know that I'll never stop trying, right? That I'll never stop carrying my cup. That's all I got to do. It don't matter how dirty the inside of the cup is. Wine can still come out of it. Right. right. You just got to carry your cup. You just got to get back up. Well, here's Keep the thing. That's the, that's, that's the difference between somebody who's, a, who's failed and somebody who's an success is the one who's got the success has stood up one more time. After one more they time. That's all it is. is you, you fail eight, uh, seven times, you stand up eight. That's right. Right? That's right. You just keep carrying your cup. That's right. You know what Man, I mean? Man, keep carrying yeah. the cup. I love it. I, <laughs> I love it. Keep Put carrying that the, on a T-shirt. Yeah. Well, I don't think we can top that. That. Yeah. I mean, that. that's a great way to end the episode. Amen. That's keep carrying the keep cup. Keep carrying the cup. Danny, I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, I man. appreciate y'all having me, man. It's been an honor. I could sit here. It's it's, it's been an honor for us. I could sit here for I mean, another hour, but I'm pretty sure Daniel Daniel kick us out. But, that's right. But, yeah, he's the only one really dressed for the occasion, right? These lights you are ain't hot. Seen right? <laughs> I've seen this dude in rubby ducky, rubber ducky uh, uh, swim trunks and a robe. Yeah, he's he's a little smarter than average bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this thing on up and, and go ahead and get on out of here. It has been a been a great episode we hope that you have uh heard something that uh has stuck out to that you're able to uh, take with you uh this week uh we hope that this episode has been a a lighthouse guiding you out of that pit of addiction if you're still in that pit of addiction if if you're there in that darkness we hope this episode is is shining that light so you can see a way out for more recovery content visit our brand new website unashamedrecovery.com there you will find addiction resources new and old episodes of the show plus sobriety and faith recovery themed blogs to take you deeper 
into your sobriety and recovery journeys. You can even donate to the show to help us reach more people still lost in the darkness of addiction. Also, go over and check out more amazing recovery podcasts over at the Take 12 Recovery Radio Recovery Podcast Network. That link is in the show notes as well as on our partners page on the website. And that's all for this episode. Remember to stay sober and above all else, keep on 12-stepping as you remain unashamed. We love Josh y'all. Josh and Drew. <laughs>